You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. And today we're joined by a very special guest. We're going to be talking with Lori Alexander. Lori is the voice behind The Transformed Wife. She believes in patriarchy. She is all about teaching women how to love their husbands and be good housewives. And because of this, as you can imagine, in a feminazi world, uh, Lori knows how to draw the ire of the left, and particularly of women. Uh, before they w- allowed you to turn off Twitter comments, Lori's Twitter feed was like a dumpster fire of hate from the green-haired man-haters. And that's one of the reasons I've really appreciated Lori's ministry and what she's done. Um, she's really just encouraging women to love their husbands and care for their children and their households in a very Titus II fashion. She's unapologetic about her uh, love for scripture and also calling out false teachers like Beth Moore. Um, recently, she had some stuff on Lisa Turkhurst from Proverbs 31 Ministries. Um, and even I, I'll, I'll read articles like that and I think, well, what's wrong with Lisa? I don't really follow her teaching or anything like that. Um, and Lori does a really good job of, of talking about why it's a problem that these women are associated with Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen and they're teaching men, um, which becomes a big problem. That's something that we're going to talk about in this episode, even with voices like Elizabeth Elliot. What's the problem? Well, you do run into a problem when Elizabeth is or was teaching groups of men, particularly on subjects like how to be a man. Lori talks about why this is a problem, and I do agree with her. So stay tuned, sit back, enjoy the episode. It's going to be a good one. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn, and we're joined today by a very special guest, we have Lori Alexander from The Transformed Wife. Lori, thanks for joining us on today's show. You're welcome. So Lori, just so people get a little bit of a feel about what you do and where they might find some of your work, um, thetransformedwife.com is one of those places, and we'll provide links for that in the show notes as well. What are some of the other places that you're active online? Facebook on, at The Transformed Wife. And Instagram, same name, and but and Twitter. Twitter, I've shut down all commenting, and even on my blog, I've shut down all commenting because I just too much trash. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. First of all, just how long have you been doing the the social media? Uh, how long have you had a website? All that sort of stuff. I started blogging ten years ago. February. And it was because one of the girls, a young girl in our neighborhood was moving to Chicago. She'd come out to do pharmacy and my, she, she was living with my friend. She was young, very promiscuous. And my friend wanted her to hang out with my daughter and her friends because they were all godly young women. They were teenagers, te- late teenagers or early 20s, I think, I forget. But so she did. And she ended up, she'd go to church with us every Sunday and loved to come to our home and have family meals with us and just listen to us. She accepted the Lord at the end. 
And then she was going back to Chicago. So I started a blog because I wanted to disciple her in the ways of, I had been mentoring women for seven years prior to that in groups of, groups of women and then one-on-one. And then I just started blogging and, and writing. And now I do it mostly online. Um, the church, then my new church actually seems to like what I'm teaching <laughs> and supporting it. So, the two other churches I've been to around here didn't, you know, <laughs> so. Well, well, and it's interesting too, especially because if, if people go on Facebook, um, you see some of the commenting there, but when you did have comments on Twitter, I was like, it was amazing. It just attracted I would just say the most hateful, vitriolic, I mean, the green-haired man-haters, everybody uh, from feminists to, you know, it was all the LGBT female pastors, all of it. Um, I just want to ask you, first of all, why do you think the response has been so strong against it? And number two, what was it that you said, you know what, I I see the negativity, but I'm not going to stop doing it? I think I received such a huge backlash for one thing, because I, I have had a few posts go viral, and so I have a, quite an influence on my right. social media sites. And I teach something that few women teach. And I don't just limit it. I, I like to put my hand in politics and health and, you know, and biblical womanhood mostly. That's mostly my. Right. But it's so all of these women, even in the church, have been raised breathing the feminist air. So what when they read what I write, it's so offensive to them. They're so easily offended today, women are. Yeah. And it's so contrary to everything they've ever heard. Because all they've ever heard was go to college and get education. That's what your life is supposed that's where you get your value and worth. So they come to my page and go, oh, you know, you're judging me. It's like I don't even know you, you know. <laughs> and then I yeah. found some things that I've written in my chat room. They scour everything about me, my kids, everything. Yeah. And they found things in my chat room that I've written to a small group of women and published them and twisted them and used them against me. They'll use anything they can against me. And on Twitter they were posting those things and anything they could get to slander me and and threaten me and whatever. And I was so thankful the day that Twitter gave me that option to cut down the, the comments here. Because on <laughs> Facebook, I yeah. can ban them. And because on Twitter, I would ban them, but they still could keep commenting on my page and on my Twitter feed. And it was so useless that, and it was frustrating. So, and then on my blog, I would get this one woman, I don't know if it, how many it was, would write 40 every day, 40 slanderous comments about me. And I was, I just don't want to put up with that anymore. Whereas my Instagram, I'm pretty quick about banning people. I keep that pretty. Yeah. And, and once you're banned on my Instagram, you're banned. And it's harder to, like on Twitter, yeah, on Twitter, you could change your, get a new one in an instant. Instagram, you can't do that. And Facebook, you can't either. So Facebook, I banned I ban a lot. I've thousands of people I've banned on Facebook and I really heavy duty banning them on the first day I post, maybe on the second day. Um, and then I don't because I know people will go right to Ken. Oh, they're writing horrible things on this post I did like a week ago. It's like, I, you know, I can't keep up with all of the posts. So I do the best that I can. I know it really bothers people, but I, I do the best that I can. 
Yeah, and I'm curious. Obviously, it's an important enough message. I think it's important. A lot of people, you know, we're very grateful that you're out there uh, doing that and promoting really just traditional Christian uh, gendered piety. But from your perspective, why w- why is this message so important that you would take that kind of criticism and just just keep going and stay strong and, and push forward with it? Well, I've almost died a couple times. You know, my kids are all grown up and gone out of the house. I think it would be, I see a lot of young women now who follow me and who are starting to really teach the same things that I do, but they don't, you know, I think they're a lot more, a lot of them use, they don't use their real name, give where their location is, but I want to be real. I want people to know me. I, I, I I feel like that gives me more influence and I receive letters private messages daily about from women saying I hate it I was one of those who hated what you wrote I (laughs) unfollowed you multiple times you know now I'm living it and so the fruit is so incredible and I know that his word doesn't come back void and I I don't know I just people say I have a hard hard skin what's that quote that phrase um I can't remember what it is but I I'm not easily offended because I'm so, I know that what I teach is so good and so profitable and something that women need to hear. And it's just what God has commanded that I teach. And I wish older, uh, many older women would, uh, there's a lot of incredible young women teaching what I teach now, but very few older women. Yeah. And I want to ask you about that. So we'll get into this in just a moment, but a lot of the way that you've um, shaped your ministry, you say on your website, uh, Titus 2, um, and this, this idea of, you know, as we're commanded, older women teaching their husband, or teaching young women to love their husbands, you know, their families, etc. So it seems like a very plain uh, text in, in one sense, but I was talking to my wife about this recently, and I said, you know, we, we've been in a lot of churches and pastoral ministry and other things, and the one thing I really see a lot of, or like quarrelsome, catty old ladies, um, older couples who um, really are not who you want teaching the younger women in the church. What you tend to not see a lot of in, in the generation right behind me, so I'm a millennial, but that generation right behind me, there just haven't been a lot of godly older people. And I'm curious if you have any inclination or idea about why that is. Well, my grandmother <laughs> was born in the early 1900s. And she was that kind of quarreling, catty, contentious wife, you know? And I think it's just the way that women are naturally. We want to control. We we want to rule over our husbands. We know what's best. And I know two women close to me who who were, were my mom's age. And they went to BSF. They taught in BSF. They were leaders in BSF. They treated their husbands horrible, just horrible. And and in the church, one church I was in, most of them were divorced. And so I think, I think the major problem is older women aren't teaching the younger women. And so that, I think that's all I can put it up to because it's our natural inclination to want to control, to not be submissive, to be quarrelsome and contentious. And that's why we need older women to speak up and teach these. Because your generation's not, you know, well, your generation's not good either. I'm like, some of my kids, all their friends are oh, divorced yeah. already. My kids are millennium. They're all in the 30s. So they're all millennials. Aren't they millennials? I think they're all millennials too. Yeah, yeah they so would be. So they're by your age. But um, 
they're all, their friend, all my college friends are still married, thankfully. And it's really, I about to do one. And a lot of them have, know my, they all know my message. And a lot of them have dramatically changed. Some just can't. They say, I just can't, do, you know. And so all I can do is teach truth and it's up to them to whether they want to obey it or not. Yeah. I want to ask you, Lori, too. Um, you know, a lot of people will say things like, well, you can't change if you were raised in a feminist environment. You know, that's just what you're going to be. Uh, but it sounds like that some of your story, there was a shift and a transformation at some point in your marriage. Um, I wonder if you could describe that, um, kind of the before and after, what happened um, to kind of bring you to where you are now. Yeah, I was definitely raised in a feminist environment because I was born in 58. So the 60s was when it really hit off. And a lot of my friends' parents were divorced. And we'd go to their house in high school and their homes would be empty. I went to a, a big hmm. public high school. And, you know, it was guys. It wasn't as bad as today that the gay stuff and the transgender stuff wasn't. But the sleeping around drugs and alcohol was all really. Yeah. So, but I, I for some reason, it didn't. My mom was a full-time mommy. My mom and dad fought constantly, though. They took us to church every week, though. Um, but I never saw love and affection between them at all. So, so I never was modeled any of that. I was, and our church was very lukewarm. I didn't understand how Christianity fit into my life on an everyday basis. That I, I love the Lord. I, I never remember not loving Him, and I always had a strong desire to please Him, and that kept me from being sec- promiscuous. I dated guys who were very had been promiscuous before me, but. When they started dating me, they, you know, I didn't let them and they wanted to marry me. So they did, they did want a virtuous woman. Even back then, I wouldn't say I was virtuous, but I was chaste, you know? So anyway, I went to college and, um, got married to a man who was uh, raised in a missionary family and his mother was the perfect submission, submissive wife, (laughs) Making, I didn't ever meet her because she died when he was 19. We met when we were 21. But Jen, I just, from everything, his dad, his dad, he'd go to his dad, what do I do with my wife? She's so contentious and crawling. And he would just give her the advice, just love her more. Just, and that's where, because he'd never had a contentious, controlling wife. Just love her more. Yeah. You know, that's all he'd ever been taught. So um, we just fought, quarreled. I was continually, cont- I was always... My kids didn't hear us, though. I was, we were, I was not going to argue and fight in front of my kids like my parents did. So we would, I was just always upset and angry with him about something that he was doing, what he was eating or doing. He wasn't living up to my expectations. And so it wasn't an affectionate, warm relationship. I thought he was a submissive wife because I was sexually available to him. I had his children. I was raising his children. I was taking care of the home. And I thought that was submission was, I think most women have no clue what submission is really because they're not taught the specifics. And then I got this magazine when after I remember holding his hand, we were walking around the park. Our kids were about ready to leave the home. I said, well, I guess, and he, he told me that he'd never leave me for the children. That was the first stab in my heart. You know. <laughs> so, and then he was an honorable man. He's an honorable man. We were walking around the park. And he just said, I guess we're just going to be like roommates once the kids are gone. And that was the second, you know, knife in my heart. 
Thankfully, wow. I found a magazine and an article in it was an article written by Debbie Pearl about the four different types of men. Or was it three? Three. Steady, visionary, and command men. And mine is that man is definitely a command man. <laughs> Most command men don't put up with contentious quarreling wives. They're out of there. <laughs> you know, they don't want to be controlled. So we want to, because of that, because I'm, if there, if women were had those qualities, I'd be a command woman, but I think most women do definitely want to control their husbands. So I bought the book. My mom actually got the book for me and I devoured it. After the first chapter, I was up asking my husband to forgive me. I went up to his office. And- was this the, uh, was this Debbie's book, The uh, Help Meet? Created to be his help meet. Yeah. Okay. I always encourage women. It's, I got the first edition. We, I got it right after she had published it. We went to a week-long seminary, seminar of Michael Pearls in, um, 15 minutes away from us on Hebrew. And I fell in love with his biblical teaching. I got to listen to her in person. And so many women, I just bought cases of these books and I gave them to everyone so many of the women gave them back to me or threw them away or I'm going what <laughs> happened to you because see I don't get easily offended I love truth I want preaching and teaching to be convicting and challenging me I don't like this soft tickling my ear feel good garbage I hate that <laughs> so um I don't want to be made a victim I want you know to do what's right and so I was just shocked when women didn't like it. So she did make a new edition that kind of softened it a little bit. And my book is um, softer than I would have written it. My editor softened it, you know, so, but it still gets the main points across and everything. Cause I, I like to just yeah. say it as, as it is. I don't like to water things down at all. But so that was the book that radically, and then it, it was a process just becoming. It's not, Ken didn't believe me, you know, at first that I had transformed or was wanting to transform. And he would test me. And then I had to get to the point where, okay, because I always quarrel with him because I always wanted to be right. I was always right. I was more spiritual with, with than him because I went to all the Bible studies and the women's conferences, although they never taught biblical womanhood. And so we would go on walks and we'd always fight the whole walk, you know, the whole, every day. Our kids weren't there, so they do and so I would tell him, you have to teach me how to not argue with me because I bit my tongue. I want to be able to discuss things with you, but I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to make it so I'm right and get the last word. So he helped me with that. <laughs> I just tell women to just you really just have to really learn to bite your tongue. And it's OK. The relationship's way more important than you being right. That's an ego thing anyway. We're supposed to be hum- humble, to always think we have to be right and to have the last word. Such an ego trip that we are on. I'm curious how in your relationship you start putting some of these things in, into practice. How, how long did it take before you started seeing change? And what was that change? What did it look like? Pretty quickly, because I'm pretty, I'm fairly disciplined. And when I'm convicted about something, if I'm convicted something's not good for me to eat, I stop, you know, I just, or to do, I'm, 
Yeah. Uh, but it definitely, it definitely took a while before. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still not perfect. I still have to work on it. A lot of times I'm writing to myself and tweeting to myself, you know, to remind myself. Yeah. The Paul is always saying in his epistles, call to remembrance, call to remembrance. And that's why it's important for me to write a lot every day to remind the women this is how you need to do this. They keep wanting to be reminded what a meek and quiet spirit looks like because feminism teaches the opposite of that. And so I have to keep reminding myself and the women to do that. But my husband would absolutely say that we have a great marriage now. We don't fight on our walks at all anymore. For one thing, I've learned that when he, because he's a command man, he'll correct me. He has no problem correcting me, never has rebuking me or scolding me or something but I've learned to yeah. not fight back and to because I'm not perfect and to try to learn from it and to just forgive you have to have a marriage of forgiving quickly easily not being offended pouring grace upon each other and so that's what I've learned to do just not let little things become mountains like I used to. It's just awful. We'd get in these huge fights and he'd have to follow me and apologize and I'd manipulate. You know, we're so good at manipulating. I never do that anymore. Well, and it's interesting because I think back to like past generations in my life um, and, and for a lot of the older generations, especially World War II and kind of following from there, I would say, and my, my siblings could attest to this and my cousins, you know, just like that a lot of the older people, it was like they would just make a sport out of like picking at each other. And it was kind of seen as like, that's how marriage was. Um, I think one of the huge changes, right, is for a lot of young women, um, you just have to experience what a, what a wholesome, happy marriage or family life structure is like. Um, you kind of mentioned this with um, having a younger woman that was being exposed to your family um, it's just so important to see it in real life and say, hey, I want that. So I, I'm curious your thoughts on this, how, you know, the church and family examples can play such a huge part. Because a lot of people will argue in favor of feminism. But what I found is like every feminist I've ever known is miserable. I mean, their relationships are horrible. Their marriages are horrible. And so, right, some of this has to be exposure to godly families and marriages, Right. Right. So, although I've seen submissive, gotten good marriage, I've seen great marriages throughout my life yeah. once in a while. And in my mind, I'm thinking she's married to a great guy. You know, yeah. so the older women not only have to model it, but they have to speak it. They need to teach the young women, yeah. just like raising children. You have to teach them and speak truth to them constantly, consistently. Yeah. To, um, for them to get it. You model it and you teach it to them. Or else you'll put the blame on her, your husband because that's why you're not like the you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I want to ask you particularly about this issue of submission. So I've noticed that you've written quite a bit on, you know, Facebook or Twitter, both places, um, your your website as well. This seems to be one of the things where people and women in particular really hate the idea of submission. Um, they hate the idea of a hierarchy at all. Um, I've argued it's inevitable. You're, life is full of hierarchies. That's just, you know, God is Lord is the first hierarchy. Um, so we have to get used to these. 
But why do you think over, say, like the last 30 years in particular, why has submission become like if you're teaching submission, the first thing I see happening is the feminist will say, well, you're supporting physical abuse, rape, you know, all these things. You're encouraging men to beat their wives. Um, so I'm just curious from your perspective, why, why this submission issue is such a hot button item? Everything I teach is a hot button. Like even, teaching, <laughs> yeah. even teaching women to not deprive their husbands sexually means I'm teaching marital rape. You know? right. So um, it's because they don't want to submit. That's the bottom line, because they go to work every day and submit to a boss. They submit to the government. They wear masks. Government says wear a mask, wear a mask, get a vaccination, get a vaccination. It's just who they want to submit to. And for some reason, it's easier to submit to everyone else but the man that you've committed your life to. And they, I, God, there's an order in everything in creation. It, for, you can't have two heads create a monster. And submission doesn't have anything to do with value. Women are is as as valuable as men, but it has to do right. with order. God's a God of order. And this is why he doesn't want women speaking in the church. Women, I've been to Bible studies, you know, mixed male and female, and where there's women don't have to be silent. And the women dominate. They just, I, there's a reason that God, and they're easily deceived. But there's, God, there's order in everything in God's word. And submission is just an order. There has to be an order in the family, a head, authority, a leader. And God ordained that. And men are created to be the leaders. Just... You know, women will act like they're not submissive and don't want to be submissive. They're equal with their husband. You know, children know their dads, the leader with the lower voice, the bigger, stronger, faster. You know, I'll tell my little, my little granddaughter, she's five and she's got a four month old little brother. She's got two little sisters, but my daughter finally had a little boy. And I looked at her recently and I said, do you know this little baby I'm holding? Lord willing is going to grow up to be stronger, faster, and bigger than you. She goes, oh, you know, I want her to, you know, I said, that's yeah. good. You know, men are created to be bigger, stronger, faster, to protect and provide for women. That's good. And it's God's created order. Yeah, that, that's really huge. Uh, one of the other issues that I've seen a lot in women's ministry and teaching is kind of this concept that we're not allowed to address women's sins. Um, and and one of those is say like you know using uh, the marriage bed to deprive your husband and then use that as a manipulative tool. And I've noticed like if you call that out immediately, people are, you know, they're outraged. But I'm curious, say from like 1970 to now, if you're to look at that whole stretch, why do you think there's been such a huge? Maybe it's just feminism, but there's been a huge push that like you're not allowed to speak directly to female sins. Why do you think that is? Because feminism has made women very, very, extremely weak and easily offended. That's why. Sadly, most churches have mostly women, it seems like, and that's who they cater to. I don't know why the, our pastor's not. Truly, John MacArthur's not. Michael Pearl's not allowed to speak to women's sin. Truly godly biblical pastor. You're not. <laughs> Some of the other guys I follow on Twitter and Facebook aren't afraid to speak to women's sin. So um, it's, I just think because women are, and they're nasty. 
they're so nasty. You've seen the way they are on, were on Twitter with me and my Facebook. They just, I don't think they want to provoke their ire against them. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of the irony is that, um, you know, I, I've written as a, a hunting and gun writer for some time. And uh, one of our, our writers, he's been in the industry for 50 years, you know, and uh, he said, you know, he said, I post pictures of me with dead animals for the last like 40 years. Nobody cares. But if a woman does it, it is like World War Three on social media. And there's also just something that women are particularly vicious with other women. And I, like I've read back when you had them, I would read the comments on Twitter and I would think these people think they're protecting women. They're like the most vicious, nasty people on planet Earth. And and here they are like attacking a woman just because uh, you have a different a different standard of truth than they do. I know feminism act, treats like acts like they give the women the right for everything, but they don't. They're just they just take away all of our rights, you know, unless it's according to their agenda. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Lori, and we were talking about this um, just before we got on here on the podcast, but you said something very interesting. We were talking about the the trend in women's teaching, the rise of people like Beth Moore and where you kind of think that might have started. And I, I want to ask you about that right now. Where, where do you think it started? And, and you mentioned a, a particular person. It kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting it. I know. I said Elizabeth Elliott <laughs> because, like I told you, that I went to Westmont College in the late 70s, and she would come to chapel and teach to the men and the women there. And I was watching a video of hers recently in a, in a class, and it was filled with men and women. And she directly addressed men at times and even had the next video was on teaching men to be men. And so I just thought that was so odd because not only are women not to teach men, but they're to be silent in the churches. She wasn't in a church. She was in a classroom still, but you're not supposed to, I don't think you're supposed to teach men anything biblical, their role. Yeah. I think that's men get enough from the pastors. <laughs> and I don't think yeah. it's a woman's role to teach men, period. So, and then. Beth Moore, Joyce Meyer, and then now it's just a, it's flooding the churches. Almost when I was looking for a church in January, we were looking for I was looking for a church with just male elders. I didn't want any, I didn't want women pastors for the children's group or women pastors for the for the um, women's ministry the or anything. I just I think pastor is a is a label that should be just for men. And so we finally found one, which is great. But most churches have the problem with women being called a pastor or have the leadership in like over the women's ministries is they're bringing all of these female preachers literature into the churches. Beth Morris, Priscilla Schreier, Jen Wilkin, all these women who are preachers who adulate Beth Moore, who's going totally off the deep. And I, I don't follow her on Twitter, but people show me things that she's tweet, you know, people share that yeah, I follow. It's bad. And it's so, so bad. She's gone so off the deep. And I follow this one woman, the end time, her name is Elizabeth Prada. But she went back and did her, recently did her very first study to see if she was good even back then. And she said, no, she wasn't. I went to a Daniel study at a church years ago and women were raved about her. I just going, ooh, you know, I just didn't see. Yeah. She would take, she always goes through Old Testament mostly. And she'll take, make stories out of us, you know, that you know, happened in the Old Testament. and so. Yeah, I just, I don't know if Beth Moore and Corey Tenbroom, they were speaking in churches. And I don't get that. Now that I know scripture, 
And in fact, I, I'm following this page on Facebook called Marriage Conservation, and they've had really good stuff. Today, they had a huge article about how women can be pastors and teachers and leaders in the business and how they got, they've got, oh. you know, and I, I thought it was a joke. And I, I, some people were taking them on in the comment section, but I just unfollowed them. I go, are you kidding me? You know, because yeah. they used those couple verses. They said just the first Timothy and the first Corinthians, those were those specific churches, blah, blah, blah. I said, what about the, the admonitions that elders and deacons are supposed to be the husband of one wife? You know, it just, it was really depressing <laughs> how so many churches are just falling hook, line, and sinker for women in leadership positions. And, and like I was telling you, the church that we def, just left, my husband even approached the pastors about, how, you know, watering down that teaching. And they kind of looked at Ken and said, what's the big deal? You know, it's like, it's a huge deal. If you're going to matter to God created men to be the leaders, the ones in authority in the churches, period. Because we are easily deceived, very easily deceived. I've been easily deceived when I... You know, a guy will come ask to cut down trees and Ken's out of town. And I'll, you know, Lori, why did you, you know, well, I'm more easily deceived on the weaker vessel, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's interesting because, I mean, we're told that, that, that women are easily deceived. Um, that's one of the reasons they're not supposed to be teachers. Mm-hmm. And then you can just look at the culture and every single one of the women who is teaching, um, I think of Beth Moore as a classic example, you know, and you've written on this. But her, her big thing was, and anybody who knows about the inerrancy of scripture would immediately see the problem here, but she says, well, that's Paul, not Jesus uh-huh. saying that. Um, and, you know, pastorally, like my antenna are just, but it, it's also interesting because I actually had a problem with Beth Moore, oh, this is like 15 years ago, um, simply because um, somebody was like, oh yeah, she, she taught at this conference and i'm looking at him like well it's men and women first of all uh-huh. and the only other speakers there are pastors it's like john piper and louis giglio and other people and beth moore is there teaching and it comes off as very awkward because she she has to sort of like posture like a man in order to preach to them and then you know just reading some of her stuff this is like i had heard of her and i read like two things and she had all this stuff about well god told me and it was like all this special revelation that she had received. And back then I was like, well, this is a problem because she hasn't gone full blown feminist at that point. Um, but you could kind of see some of the signs. Fast forward to now. Um, you've got people like Jen Wilkins who are just absolutely crazy. Um, I'm not sure what it is to females, but these, these ladies are clearly popular. And maybe take somebody like Jen Wilkins. Why do you think this is resonating with women? Women want to hear the Bible taught with a feminine perspective. I yeah. heard that for many years. I thought, yeah. oh, you know. But now I'm older and wiser, and it's like. <laughs> and I remember. Did you ever read Dal Rock's blog? Yes. Yep. He wrote me one time and rebuked me for teaching the Bible. He said, "You need to stick to what God." commands that you teach. And I said, you know, you're right. God's very specific in what he teaches women to teach. And we're not supposed to be teaching other doctrines besides biblical womanhood. 
in order to, you know, in order to teach biblical women, I do have to teach a lot of different parts of the Bible, but they all support biblical womanhood. I, I wrote a post recently on some doctrine that someone asked me about, and my husband found it a few hours later and said, take it down. <laughs> okay. You know, Interesting. I thought, I kind of was thinking he probably not going to, you know, and so, um, and he said, if you do that, I want to see it and, you know, be part of that discussion, you know, so, um, cause I have posts on my old blog of doctrine, but I think that's a huge issue with women and all of you, these women pastors, if they were teaching like Jen Wilkin, you know, did you hear the thing about her recently saying that a woman shedding her blood monthly is like Jesus shed blood on the cross? Yeah. Like menstruation is like the perfect picture of the gospel. And I was like, this is like psychotic. What is happening? I know. So I think that they, if they, they can't teach biblical womanhood because they're disobeying it. They're not keepers at home for one thing. They're all on the road a lot away from their families. They're not silent in the churches. That's part of biblical womanhood. They're not if they're submissive to their husband, my, my husband definitely oversees my ministry. <laughs> he, I just took something down Instagram the other day because he told me, you know, take that down. And he very rarely, probably in all the 10 years I've been, he's told me to take down like three posts or some, or maybe more on that on Instagram, on my Instagram stories, but rare, very rarely, you know, he'll tell me, you know, tone it down on this. And so he's overseeing my ministry. And I think, I know Beth Moore's husband doesn't really study, he's not a student of the word. I don't even know if he's a believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about, I know Joyce Meyer's husband sits on the very front row and goes to all of her conferences. And because I listened to her, I was very ill for many years. And I would listen to her for a couple of years because she reminded me of me. She was very rebellious. And then she learned submission. But there she is. And I heard all of her, it was before I started blogging. I heard all of her reasons why she was allowed to do what she was doing. You know, Mary preached to the disciples and um, Priscilla was a leader and pastor. And, you know, all the, I've heard every single argument. Uh, right. and, but now I see why she was a false teacher, clearly, that what she was doing wrong. Even though her husband was overseeing her ministry, they got paid really well, too. So, yeah, I, I, yeah they're just, mo- they're just money. not teaching. If they all stuck to teaching what God commanded them to teach in all the churches, what a powerful church we would have today, wouldn't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, I, I also want to ask you, um, recently, uh, I can't remember who put it up, but somebody put up a male version, which was like how to, um, I can't remember the exact language, but like basically like how to love your wife. Um, and then you responded with a list of how to love your husband. Mm-hmm. What was interesting about this, and I, I want to ask you about the list and why it's important, but it was interesting because... On the one hand, like when, when a guy says how to love your wives, people are like, yeah, amen. You men need to get out there and love your wives. And then you posted yours and people were like, a woman should never have to take care of the needs of, of her husband. So there's a, weird, there's a weird irony here because when, you know, women can actually, I think, be very, very needy in this realm. Like I've had women come to me and get counsel pastorally. And they're like, I'm thinking of leaving my husband. And I'm like, why? Well, he's abusing me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how's he abusing you? Well, he doesn't meet my emotional needs. And I'm like, okay, we need to redefine what abuse is, first of all. And then you, you kind of look at it and it's like, basically, they have a Hallmark Channel view of what you know their husband should be doing. 
And the guy's just tired. He's a good man, but he's tired and he comes home and he's, you know, he's not having like a deep conversation about her feelings. And so she's, you know, she's disgruntled. But then you, you flip it around and she's like, well, I, I don't have to have sex with him. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like meeting his needs. So I, I just want to ask you why you think there's a disparity uh, on that front, the article you wrote, um, you know, for, for men and women. For one thing, men are not easily offended. I think they're used to being rebuked by pastors. You know, Father's Day, they are, right. us, are usually rebuked. Uh, pastors aren't are, um, focused on men loving their wives as Christ loves the church. And I, don't, I just don't think men, I think that's the bottom line. Men are not as easily offended. You know, so, but women are very incredibly offended. And I just wrote a post on meeting men, you know, meet, trying to meet women's emotional. And because I, I did a post, a video recently from a woman, I didn't want to say her name, who I saw something on my timeline. I don't know if you saw the video, but it said that obligation sex is toxic. And she took a, yeah. And she took a, a quote by Dr. Ed Wheat and that I thought it was appropriate quote. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just got hammered by the women on follower that follow her, just hammered by, and well, they're supposed to meet our emotional. And, and that's a, Ken tried meeting my emotional and, and mental needs for years. And it was, it was a hamster wheel because only the Lord can, there's no way men can meet women's emotional. And, and to expect that from them is ridiculous. We're to, we're to have those met by renewing our minds with truth and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, period. That's how your emotional and mental needs are met. Because, you know, when, when your husband's dating you, he's courting you, and he wrote me love, he did everything to just win me. And then once you're married and he's working hard and kids come, you don't have the time to do that anymore. And you have to find your, yeah. your security and your worth, your value. In Jesus Christ alone, and I'm healthy mentally and emotionally because of what I think about and what I dwell upon. Not anything my husband does, because if he scolds me about something, I could fall apart, you know. But I don't, because I just say, okay, if I, if I'm if I'm easily offended by that, that's pride on my part. That means I'm perfect, and he should never scold me because I'm perfect, you know. So I think women, yeah don't know God's word. And that's why they're so e led astray so easily. Men do. A lot of men don't know God's word, but they need to be in God's word daily. Listen to teachers who are teaching them truth about marriage, about God's role for them. Because these women pastors are just, oh, all the stuff that, oh, I hear from God. God spoke to me. Jesus calling. Oh, gag. It's like, why don't you just read God's word? That's Jesus calling in God's word. You don't need some woman who doesn't yeah. think scripture's sufficient, supposedly hearing from God. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really huge. Um, I want to I wanna transition. I want to ask you about Titus 2, um, and I'll read verses 3 through 5, and then I have a few questions for you in terms of how you would um, counsel and, and teach women and how that ministry has looked in your own life. So, first of all, Titus 2, verse 3, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young woman to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, 
and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So, one of the things that was a core conviction before I was, I would put myself in a, like a patriarchal high view of femininity position. What ultimately got me there was saying, look, I want to teach what the Bible says. Um, I, I would thought when I was young, I just thought, okay, this whole 1950s kind of model, this is just a stereotype. But then uh, going through seminary, studying the scripture, I read passages like this, and I see nothing in here about, oh, that's, that was just their cultural context. I see Paul pointing to creation here and elsewhere, and when talking about roles. Um, and I see things like this in the passage, um, that she should be self-controlled, pure, and working at home. So this is very unpopular today, but correct me if I'm wrong, it becomes this inescapable, but that's what God's word says, and that the woman's primary role is at home. Have you seen a lot of pushback on this where women are saying, not, but I don't want to be there, but that's not what I'm good at. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> Constantly. That's got to be one of the central things, right? That women are saying, I but I don't want to do that. Yeah. How would you, how would you, how would you counsel them from that point forward? Well, feminism teaches women that life is all about themselves and what they want, their goals, dreams, and ambitions. Yeah. And it has left children in the dust. I teach what's best for children, what's best for marriages, which is God's will. And God's will is for women to be keepers at home and to have their life center on that. So they have time for their husbands. They, you don't have to worry about who's going to do the housework. You each have your roles. God, that's why God made it. It's a, he's a God of order. Husbands go out, work hard to provide so women can be at home, taking care of the home taking care of the children, meeting their husband's needs, being the helpmeet that God's called them to be. You can't serve two masters. Women who have careers with families are serving two masters. I did that for two years with my two oldest. Yeah. And I didn't feel like I was a good wife, mother, or teacher. I, it was, mm. I would go into the principal's office. He was a military guy, bald, big, stocky. It was kind of embarrassing. I'd have to use his little bathroom, his, his office, to pump my breast. I remember saying, this is so abnormal not to be with my yeah. baby. I, if we had to take those two years back, we would. That one, two, one of my biggest regrets is not being with my baby those first two years. Um, and so I was exhausted. I would come home and just lay on the couch and watch the soap operas I had taped. You know, I used to watch soap operas and I did about that. <laughs> and I, I, was, I, I was just worthless. And then when I came home, yeah. then you have time. You have, if you're tired, you can rest with your children there. You're there. To, I think me being sick was o almost a blessing because I, I was always there at home. I wasn't off running there and here and going to. I was home for my children constantly, teaching them, training them. And they always knew I was available. And my mom was for me too. And it was huge, huge security. The, the only security children have in this messed up, wicked world is home where a mommy and daddy love each other. That's it. That's the security they have. And when they have, I, so many women who have had career mothers don't want to do that to their kids because they knew that they were second, came in second place to their mom's careers. They, moms didn't have much left over for them when they got home. And Children, The Way Home by Mary Pride is a great book, but she did studies and showed that 
children who are raised by a queer mother grow up to be emotionally insecure and emotionally unstable and insecure. And I remember talking to a teacher at my, the high school. My kids went to a private small Christian college. And she said she could tell that students in high school who are raised by full-time mothers and those who are not. Because they were so much more. My kids were all emotional, stable and secure. They are because they don't get easily offended at all. They, you know, having a mother like me, they don't get offended by me at all. They, you know, they're used to it. And, and Ken and I were really open about keeping them on the straight path, uh, you know, the godly path and being open with them with truth. But yeah, it's so important in every way. And a lot of mothers, women write me and want to be home and doing everything they can to be home. And what about single mothers? What about widows? What about da 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 They always say, well, you know what? This is a tweet I tweeted the other day. Family is supposed to be the backup plan, not yeah. not careers. Family, then um, relatives, the church, friends, they're to be the backup plan. A child who has lost their father by divorce or, you know, if the father has left and divorced the wife, it's a different story if the wife divorces her husband because she's not happy. That's so ugly and awful. But they don't deserve to lose their mother, too, to a, to a job. They yeah. still need their mothers at home, no matter why they lost their, their father. So it's just the where they're supposed to be. And then a lot of mothers say they're bored at home. They don't have that much to do. Da, da, da. It's because they haven't been taught to be content at home. They haven't been taught that it's good to be at home. And you're right where God's put you. And what you're doing is bringing glory to God, changing diapers. I'm, I watch my grandkids all the time. Yesterday I had all of them over and the families to celebrate six birthdays that we have in May. And my, three of my kids, my husband, a couple of my grandkids. And I love watching my grandkids. I had four of them because my, my, my son it was celebrating his anniversary. So I had four of them for the weekend. I'm exhausted by the end. Oh, that's great. But that's what I'm here for. A lot of young women want me to be their grandma because <laughs> their moms were they, has, have been there. They've done that. You know, so you kidding me? You're missing on the bed. I want to pour my lives into my children and my grandchildren. I want to be there when they need them. I want to make their lives easier. I'm here for my neighbors. My elderly neighbor needed a ride to the doctor the other day. So when or taking meals to them or whatever, it's society's lost yeah. so much with mothers leaving the home. Yeah. And it, it's interesting too, Lori, because it's also, it has a generational impact, just like you're talking about where. I think one of the most consistent things that I heard generationally growing up was parents would always say to their kids, when you turn 18, you're out of my house and you're not my responsibility anymore and you're on your own. And I look back at that and I think, first of all, well, wow, that's wicked. Um, number two, it seems like Titus 2, the most natural way that you would fulfill that ministry, right, is if you're a mom and you have, you know, your kids are out of the home, your work isn't done. I mean, you still have the next generation to train up. I always tell people, you know, as men, and we say this, but it's true for women as well. I don't view that I've been successful until my grandchildren are being faithfully reared to fear the Lord, right? It's not just my kids. So do you see that as uh, something that you're having to address this, this idea that like, I think it's just selfishness, but ultimately like, well, once my kids are gone, I'm done. Oh, yeah, I address it. And they want to go travel and do this and that. I want to, yeah, yeah I, I'm totally opposite. I want to pour my life into my grandchildren. I love my grandchildren so deeply. 
it's just, and it, it's just so cute because I got my little boy, I was holding little, my youngest one, he's four months old. And all my little granddaughters just came over and wanted to hold, the granddaughters, not my grandsons, the older ones, the granddaughters wanted to come yeah. and just touch his face and hold him. It's so cute. It's like, I didn't teach my granddaughters to be that way. It's just instinctual to love babies. You know, my grandsons will play with them when they get older, but they're not rubbing his face and yeah. wanting to hold him. But um, it should be a woman's instinct to want to be with her children, to want to be with her grandchildren and to help and make their lives better. And we do. We, I make my children's lives better because my oldest one was infertile for a long time. And she finally had a baby and he was very feisty, very feisty. And so she would come over a lot. And, and I, I watch him two or three times a week. To give her, he's fun now. He's getting to the point where he's not as feisty. He's a lot of fun, although he's getting his two-year molders. But I love to help them out. When, when, after they have a baby, I flew to wherever they are to be with them for a couple of weeks and I'm available, which is great. And I think older women need to be available too. But the sadly, a lot of women in my age group, their kids are either not getting married or they're not having kids. I, I'm a rarity to have 12 grandchildren and my kids aren't even done yet. Um, so it's yeah. really sad. So sad that so many people my age, their kids aren't even, I, so many aren't married or having children. I'm, I I think the only one I know actually that has I know I watched the Bates and the Duggars and they have a lot of grandchildren but they had nineteen children you know it's just it's just sad. Yeah, it's interesting because I get the comment a lot. Uh, so I'm 36, uh, but have been married since I was 20. Um, and it's crazy because most people are like, man, you're crazy. They, they told me I was crazy. But now it's like I'm not even 40, and you're like, you got teenagers who are about to exit into the world. It's just so amazing to be able to send these arrows out into the world versus like our generation. Most of the people my age um, are at the point where they're like, yeah, maybe I should start dating. I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're 40 years old. You know, you're, you're. And the girls are infertile by then. Yeah. You can't even have kids. A lot of the women that are my age-ish, um, and this is something I want to ask you about. A lot of the women my age are like. Uh, there was an article, and this is kind of epitomizes it, where the woman like froze her eggs and was like, I'm just going to focus on my career. I don't know if you saw this. I did. <laughs> but she's going to focus on her career. Then it turns out it doesn't work. And now she's like, I was lied to and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I feel like one of the things that if, if I could do anything, it would be tell, and I tell my boys this all the time, is look, you need to be preparing for marriage. We're going to help get you there. You need to be a provider and a protector. Um, we need to work on your career. But trust me, boys, like there's nothing better. I mean, we, there were many years going to seminary. We were very poor. But I picked this up from John Harbaugh. I would look at the kids and we'd be going and getting like 20 cent ice cream because that's all we could afford. And I would say to them, I was like, boys, who has it better than us? And they would all say, nobody. And I'd be like, yeah, this is the life. Um, I don't regret a day choosing my kids and my family over career, but it seems like there's a disconnect, right, with the generations, particularly like the young people who, as you said, they're, they're not getting married. So what do you say to like a 17-year-old girl who is maybe thinking like, well, should I start a family? Should I go to college? Should I get a career? What would you, what would you say to her? 
You know, it's so hard because it depends on the parents. A lot of parents are forcing yeah. their kids to go to college. It, it's just our nation idolizes college. And I think when I went to college, because my dad wanted me to, which is funny because he did not ever want my mom to work. He, he yeah. wanted her to be home full time with us. But he wanted us just in case, which is funny because he would have absolutely taken care of us if something happened to our husbands. But um, I would say probably the most secure thing to do. You know, our society is very wicked right now, very unsafe yeah. for women to be out there alone at night. Or I think it's really good for them. I know this is not, so not um, common today and offensive, but I think it to be for them to live under their father's roof until they're married, if possible. If possible, if he, they're, they have a good father for that protection. Because my youngest daughter did, and I'll, one year, she went to Biola one year. It was a good college back then. Good Bible. Right. It's called Bible Institute of Los Angeles. But then she went to a community college near here, which was $400 a semester. And then she went to, went to my oldest daughter never went to college. But then she went to a, a university real close to her house. So she would sit. She went to one class and um, a professor asked her to write a paper on gay sex in bathrooms. Yeah. So my dad, my husband called the teacher professor and she had to drop the class. And that's what dads are for. Yes. Yeah. He, you know, he wasn't going to put up with that garbage and he wanted her <laughs> to get great. a career for, I don't know if he would now as much, as much as we know now, even as polluted yeah. as the colleges are and to even support them financially. It's all just false teaching. So I, I encourage women, if they want to make money, to nanny maybe. Do something along the lines that have to do with uh, biblical womanhood. You know, cleaning houses, selling cooking, cooked things, sewing, learn how to be a good seamstress. Pe women always need things sewn. And I take it to a place a little shop where I want something taken in or whatever. Do something. And so you're, you feel useful and maybe you're making a little bit of money, you know, nursing and nursing and teaching our big career. People think they're good for, for mothers. But they're not, um, they're exhausting jobs, incredibly exhausting. And now as a nurse, you have to wear a mask full time as a teacher, even and probably be vaccinated. Yeah, pressure to get the vaccine. So all that's out of your control. So I just say find skills from home. From There's so many things you can do from home or around home, but be under your dad's protection, provision, and find good, the best biblical church you can find so you're meeting guys. And we are a remnant. There'll always be a remnant. Like They'll say, oh, I can't. There's no good guys. Left. Yeah, there are. You're raising three good guys. My guys were great. My girl's married great guy. There's good. There'll always be a remnant. And I, I watch the debates and the Duggars. I don't watch very much TV, but they're finding great spouses for their kids because they, they're involved in homeschooling groups and um, just different groups. You might have to be, I think parents have to be proactive in finding their kids godly spouses. Like we helped, we kind of were proactive with um, my oldest daughters, <laughs> you know, but uh, right, my second one met his daughter at college. My third one met his wife from friends from college, and my fourth yeah. daughter. You know, just so you kind of have to. But as the world gets more wicked, it's, feminism, everything takes deeper root. All this 
you know, in the high schools now, um, being gay and transgender is the popular people. Yeah. Isn't that just yeah, that's, so tragic? Yeah, but, and that, that's been a huge shift even in uh, in my time since being in high school. Like, they weren't teaching any of that. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't with there when my kids were in. You know, it's thanks to Obama and then, um, you know, saying same-sex marriage is okay. And then Bruce Jenner coming out. Once Bruce Jenner came out, it just exploded. Okay. He wants to pretend and dress like a girl, so it's okay. Yeah, it was, it was really mainstreamed. Um, the other question I want to ask you, um, in terms of resources, we've mentioned a few, and I'll mention some of those in the show notes as well. Um, but for young women, uh, what resources would you point to? Obviously, I would encourage them to check out your stuff. You've written a few books. What are some of the things that have influenced you? I have them all in my Instagram stories, my favorite books. Okay. Um, Other Side of the Garden is a really good book. But I loved M- Michael Pearl's Bible teaching. I feel like I never got good Bible teaching until, because the pastors were so wishy-washy and so not deep or convicted. So I listened to him teach most of the books in the New Testament, and I loved his teaching. I listened to John MacArthur. I listen to any pastors I know who are good, solid Bible teaching. Teaching. I think that's really incredible for important for women to do is to really know God's word and to learn from godly men who really study God's word and are convicting and challenging. There's a lot of young women on my Instagram that are very good, but I prefer to. When I tell people to fo- women to follow, I, I I love to have older women because that's biblical. I don't think it's unbiblical for these young women to be teaching what they teach because they're very wise, incredibly wise. But I think it's good to um, find older women if you can. If there's no older women, then you have to listen. And I, I read a lot of younger women stuff, but it'd be nice if there's more older women. But there's some good books on my Instagram stories that I recommend. Awesome. For women too. From older women. Oh, you know who's really good is um, Doug Wilson's wife, Nancy, yeah, Nancy Wilson. Wilson. And her daughter, Rachel, is incredible. Rachel yeah. Jacantlovich or something. Yeah. She's really good. Yeah, that, that, that was one of the things um, on a recent podcast I was talking with uh, Rich Lusk. And we were talking about, and, and maybe this is the last thing I'll ask you, but um, one of the things that I've had difficulty with, people always ask me, okay, there's a Hard Man podcast. Um, what what do you recommend for women on that front? And I I asked Rich, and uh, he he's a pastor in Birmingham, and he's very well read. And he said, you know, Lori Alexander. Outside of that, I don't really know. And I've gotten that response from a lot of people. I'm curious why you think like why aren't there more good solid voices? There's this one woman who um, teaches Bible, and I think she's she calls out lost false teachers. But uh-huh. she doesn't teach a lot of biblical. She doesn't teach much biblical womanhood at all. It's mostly Bible, and I yeah. think women should be learning Bible from men. So I don't recommend her, you know, to to learn from because she makes Bible study material. And I was following this one woman on Instagram. I thought she was great, but she's just coming out with a Bible study on Exodus. It's like what? You know? <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't know any bod- podcasts really. I, I'm sure there's some out there. Yeah, the the only one that we've really found was the, um, and you mentioned like Nancy Wilson. We have the Canon Press app, 
And so she's got like little quick hitters for housewives and my wife likes to listen to them. Um, I think one of the things about it is, and I've often said this, people have this idea of like 1950s housewife who just sits at home and drinks martinis and does nothing all day. And part of it is that being a housewife to me is like being a craftsman or an artisan. Like it takes tremendous skill if you do it well. And that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed is watching my wife now, you know, almost 20 years into marriage. And like, there'll be young women in church who are like, what do I do with my newborn? And my wife is like, oh, just don't even worry about it. We'll show you. It'll be easy. Like, it's a real skill set. And then you look at Proverbs 31 and you're like, man, this woman is industrious. She knows how to run a household. When you see women who can do that, it's a very impressive thing. Um, and, And maybe I would think in my lifetime, the reason we don't, we don't hear more from women like that is maybe because they're busy running those households. I don't, I don't know if that's true. Well, I think he uses older women because we have the time. You know, they're only busy if they have careers. Because I have time. It takes a lot of time for me to research, right? Because um, I have so many things going right now. I used to have like 30 days worth or 60 days worth of blog posts up. Now I have zero, you know, and I don't even post every day anymore because I'm writing on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. So I, I'm in a lot of different directions. And plus I've written about everything. I've written thousands and thousands of posts. So I'm kind of using old posts again. But I, I think it's because, yeah, they just, it's older women. The young women are, should be more busy with their home and their children and, and yeah. doing, doing that than they are teaching other women. There's a reason God in the King James says the aged women. It's supposed to yeah. be the older women who have the experience. We've raised our children. And I think you want to te- learn from women whose children grew up to walk in truth. I mean, if you have one that strays, I mean, they each have their choice, but they should... Like like John MacArthur's raised four four children who walk in truth. Michael Pearl raised five children who walk in truth. And so I think that you absolutely parents have a big responsibility in that. Yeah. Teaching truth and making my mom made loving Jesus look like the most wonderful thing in the world, you know. And there has to be a lot of joy there too. Like this ship's the one to be on, kids. The one out there, the worldly ship, oh, it's gonna tank like the Titanic, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really good. Well, Lori, I appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast. I'm going to put in the show notes, like I said, links to uh, your stuff. People can check that out. I would definitely encourage them to do that. A lot of good material, I think, especially for people who are tired of the feminist lines that, that we keep getting from culture. Um, we definitely need more of what you're doing. So thank you so much for, for your ministry and, and what you've done. It's been very, very helpful. You're welcome. thanks again for listening to this episode of the Hard Men podcast and special thanks to Lori Alexander for joining us on the show. I'm sure we'll have and have really already had uh, some more hateful feminazi uh, stuff on uh, Twitter and Ellen Square. So lots of blocking, but it's all good. Um, If you have the right enemies, you know, you're probably pushing in the right direction. Special thanks as always to our Patreon supporters really could not do this show. Without you guys, financial support is a huge thing to furthering the work of the kingdom. And in this case, it's media. And we just want to encourage you, if you're not a Patreon supporter, you can check out ericcon.com 
You can become a subscriber for as little as $5 a month. And we've got other tiers as well. We've got a store with t-shirts, which are awesome, by the way. Great fitting green t-shirts. And they've got the Hardman logo on them. We've also got Hardman pint glasses. Have been sending out quite a few of those recently, so that's awesome. You can have a frosty beer or beverage, whatever your choice is, with the Hardman logo. So be sure to check that out as well. Final thing I'll say, if you do listen to this show, I would encourage you to go on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. That definitely helps us out, helps get the word out, and fights some of the one-star reviews that we get from the gay Reverend Helens. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. 